Well, we are jumping into part two of a new series we started last week called Just Give. Called Just Give. And we didn't, we didn't mean that in like a just give kind of an angry way, but just I really couldn't pick a title. <laughs> and so I, it was like morning of last time. Like I never have trouble picking a title. But here's the deal. The topic of giving is fraught with problems in the church. And I think there's two primary reasons. One is that the church has done a, a poor job, I think, at times of communicating what the scripture has to say about giving and has even manipulated with it at times. And so it's been misused and misrepresented. And the minute the word give gets mentioned in church, you think of money and you think that guy wants my money. I mean, that, I've thought that. Am I the only one? No? Okay, we, we can have some agreement here. Well, I just have to say to you, the word give does not equal money. And that's what we really covered last week. God and his core and his nature, he is a giver. God so loved that he gave us a really nice gift card. He gave us emotional feelings that he sent in our direction. No, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Giving is in his nature and it's sacrificial and it goes way beyond money. It's about the heart. And God has called us to be givers. So, so one reason that it's an issue is how it's been communicated in the church. And I'm hoping, as best as I'm able, as best as we are able as a body, that we can communicate this clearly and accurately over the next few weeks. The second issue, though, that I have to point out is one that we all have. And that is the issue of having selfish hearts. A, a part of the fall is that we went from being the givers God designed us to be to being people who take and feel the need to take and to grab hold of things that maybe don't even belong to us in the first place and according to what happened to Adam and Eve and all of humanity since aren't really good for us. They do great damage in our own hearts and lives. And so I just want to challenge each of us, including myself, to dare to believe that giving is actually good for us, that it is an antidote to our society, our materialistic society, and to our own selfishness. There, there's a lot of elements of the gospel that are news to be received. And then there are things God invites us into to participate. It's, we use the word obedience to describe the things that God is inviting us into to participate in. Well, when we are obeying him, we are involving ourselves in the process of God transforming us. I think everything that Crystal and Alex shared about the night they had a few weeks ago was all giving. They, they had a night where they were laying things down. They were showing grace. They were, I'm assuming, repenting and forgiving maybe even, on, right? So that's giving. They didn't sit down and go, let me give you some cash to say I'm sorry. Y'all see what I'm saying? This is, this is bigger than finances. They gave. They gave. And, and it is an action that God invites us into that will produce change in our life that is good for us. And, and good for his kingdom, good for the world. So there's a little bit of a reminder of what the series is about and what we covered last week. So this morning, we're starting on the topic of stewardship, the topic of stewardship. And I want to say again, one more time, this will touch on finances, but this goes beyond that. Next week, weeks three and four, will be very focused on money and finances. Um, but this follows along with giving. God calls us to be generous givers, and he's made us stewards. And so we're talking about stewardship this morning. 
So I want to open by just reading something with you guys. So it'll be up on the screen behind me. This is from the ESV. I'm not sure what, what Bible you may have that you're following along with. Um, but this is a parable that Jesus told. It's actually kind of a confusing and even controversial parable. At first glance, it sounds like Jesus is commending something really odd. And so we're going to jump into this this morning and learn about being a steward. One other thing I want to say before we read, um, you'll see the word manager. The, the Greek word for steward throughout the New Testament gets translated manager, steward. Um, it also gets translated as um, di dispensation, like giving away, dispensing of, of funds or of time or whatever. And so this word manager is the biblical word for steward. All right, we ready? Here we go. Luke chapter 16, verse 1. Jesus is in a crowd of people. There are Pharisees nearby. There are the sinners, the sick. They're all gathered. And in the midst of that, he's got his disciples close to him. And after talking to this, this huge crowd, in fact, we're coming off of the parable that he tells of the prodigal son. This is, this is what's coming right on the heels of that. He told the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the lost younger brother and the lost elder brother. And right on the heels of that, he turns to his disciples and he tells this story. He also said to his disciples, verse 1, There was a rich man who had a manager. And charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. So the manager was doing a bad job. Verse 2. And so he called the manager and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. Verse 3. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig. And I am ashamed to beg. So he's like, manual labor is out. And I don't want to go be the guy on the side of the street begging. What am I going to do? Verse 4. I have decided what to do. So that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And the manager said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. So we're tearing up the old bill and rewriting a new one at a much lower cost. Wouldn't it be great if this guy showed up at your door for any debts that you owe? It'd be awesome. Verse 7, then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, 100 measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. Now look at this, verse 8. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Let me give you a picture here of, of who this steward is. So looking at this story and other scriptures that we see, um, the way we could best relate this, who this manager is or this steward is, it's like combining the role of a CFO and a COO. This is the, the role of somebody who's the operations manager and the financial manager. So here's what needs to be done. I'm running the people, I'm running the organization, and I'm taking care of the finances and how they're spent. That's this role. Would, could we all agree that's a pretty big role? Yeah, it's pretty important. The biblical imagery, um, we see this word used as the manager of a household. Um, Joseph might be an example of this in the Old Testament when he was in Potiphar's house. 
Um, and then obviously later, he was the steward for the king, like the right-hand the right man or the pharaoh. Um, it's also um, used to describe the treasure of a city, so that the person that's in charge of the finances of a city. It could be a superintendent of a farm or a land estate. The main idea is simply this. It's these two words kind of working together. It's the idea of someone who manages people, manages stuff, possessions, and someone who dispenses of the funds. Dispenses of the funds. We got the picture? All right? That's, that's what a biblical steward or manager is. I want to give you um, some examples. We're not going to read all of these. They're in my notes if you want to go back and look. But there's some, some places in Scripture where we are told, New Testament, that we're stewards. God uses that terminology to describe us now as his followers. And so, first of all, we're all called stewards of the gospel. This shows up in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Then again in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10. And in Colossians 1-2, in each of these cases, Paul is talking about us being stewarded with this gift of the gospel. We have good news, and our job is to steward that well. And so we, we protect it. We use it effectively. We dispense it. We give it away. We manage, we care for the gospel we've been entrusted with. We've been given a precious gift, and now we're called to give it away. Um, also, later in Scripture, um, when Paul is writing especially to Titus and Timothy, he talks about the importance of protecting that gospel. When he's describing biblical leaders in the church, he talks about the importance of them being stewards, both of the body of believers and as stewards of God word, God's word, to protect against those who would change it or twist it. And so we're, we're called stewards in God's kingdom. And then I love this, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, Peter's writing about a whole new freedom and life that we have in Jesus. And he equally says there's some whole new responsibilities as we step into that life. And he calls us in 1 Peter 4.10, stewards of that way of life. We're to steward and protect the life and freedoms that God has given us, and we're to step into the responsibilities he's called us to. So there's some, some biblical pictures of stewardship. Now, what's interesting about Jesus talking about stewardship and God calling us stewards is, is the implications of it. We're going to ultimately look at two parables this morning. There are two primary places where Jesus talked about stewardship, and they're both found in the Gospel of Luke. One is chapter 16 that we're going to dig into a bit more, more in just a moment, and another is in Luke's Gospel chapter 12. But what's interesting about this terminology is there's something inherent that God is telling us about ourselves. If you are a steward or a manager, who does the stuff belong to? Does it belong to you? No, it belongs to someone else. Imagine you're an investment banker and you have been given the care of someone else's finances. Do, do you get to take that money and spend it and do with it what you will, what you want? No, it requires a high level of responsibility, faithfulness, wisdom, some care. This is someone else's money, and there's some responsibility associated with that. God is now using that terminology to talk about you and I and the lives we've been given. That should, that should catch our attention and maybe should bother us a little bit. 
I mean, if you've got even a little ounce of the pride I have, <laughs> that annoys me. And in our culture, we, th- we think pretty highly of working hard and earning what we've got. I mean, I've, I'd be pretty insulted if somebody said, like, you've just been given everything you have. I feel like, no, I've, I've worked hard for what I've got. I've sacrificed. I've had to be careful with my money. I've had to work long hours. I've had to do jobs I did not like. Am I, am I the only one that's done some jobs I didn't like? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Alex, you said that a little too strongly. <laughs> do we need to talk about your current job? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We're good. Um, no, but listen, like, that, that bothers us. But it's the truth. Think about this. I'll give you an example. I found it, I, th- I find it really difficult for anyone to have a job and work hard if they're not alive. Can we all agree that kind of a minimum requirement to showing up at work and doing your job is alive? I mean, I've actually worked at some places where like, we will just take a warm body if we could just get somebody in the door because we're so shorthanded. Um, being alive. But listen, we take that for granted. We have been given life. Do I think about that? Am I conscious of that? God, you've given me life. Okay, beyond that, my ability to work hard and earn, it's because I'm healthy. I don't know about you, but the only time I think about my health is when I don't have it. When I'm sick, when I'm injured, when I'm hurt. And then my attitude isn't, Man, God, thank you for all the times I've been healthy. What a gift. What a miracle that I've been healthy for so many years. I'm mad. Oh, how's this happening to me? When am I going to be over this flu? Can the kids just go back to school already? I mean, like, our health, when we have it, we don't necessarily appreciate or recognize where it comes from. But the minute it's gone, woe is me. God, look what you've done. It's But it's his hand that upholds and sustains us. I'm not going to put him on the spot, but if I ask my friend Nick to come up here and talk to us about how complex the human body is, it's it's kind of a miracle that this thing functions properly. There's so many systems in the body that are working at any moment in time. It's a miracle that it works at all. Some mornings I feel like it's not working real good when I roll out of bed, but listen, our health is a gift from him. Our life is a gift from him. Our talent I can get really hung up on, hey, I've worked really hard to earn things, but God's given me special giftings and abilities and talents. I tend to think about the ones I don't have, but there's some I've been given. They're a gift from him. They're a gift from him. And even if we assume all of that, I didn't pick where I was born. I could be alive and healthy and hardworking and be living in Haiti right now. And I wonder how different my life would look. What we have is a gift from God. Thank goodness he's a giver. And he doesn't give that to us and then become this angry manager demanding, have you spent it well? He gave it to us as a gift to enjoy, but to steward, to steward. And so he's called us to be stewards. Now, Jesus says something we need to have that context because he's talking to his disciples. And so I want to I pick up where we left off here. But um, as he's describing this manager, there is a compliment. We're going to look at it again together. But 
He's not casting this guy in a good light. He's calling him a dishonest, unfaithful manager. This guy has had probably years to manage his master's stuff, and he's done a really poor job. And in the midst of that, we're going to pick it up in verse 8 again, where Jesus kind of ended the story, and we're going to read through verse 15. Luke 16, verse 8, the story continues, and Jesus says again, after this, this dishonest but shrewd manager goes and arranges all these debts and lowers them, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, or we could say his wisdom even. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than who? The sons of light. Jesus says, even in his unfaithfulness, there was some wisdom. There was some shrewdness. He's arranging for his future. I mean, think about what this, this manager has been saying to himself. The reason he's saying, I don't want to go do manual labor or beg, is because the word is out on his reputation. He's not going to get another job as somebody else's manager. The way his current employer found out is that word was spreading that this guy was doing a bad job and it made it back to the master and so he's firing him. This guy has dropped the ball. He's done a poor job and he goes, I don't want to do manual labor. I don't want to beg. I'm at least going to arrange for my future. And Jesus says that guy is considering his future more than the sons and daughters of the light. That should wake us up. That should get our attention. And then he unpacks it. Verse 9. He said, And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Verse 10. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. See, Jesus is, is after both qualities. He's after faithfulness and honesty, and he's also after using some wisdom. He moves on, verse 11. If you then have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth with the practical daily things I've given you, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And then if we're ever wondering if Jesus is saying something controversial, as always, the Pharisees show up right on time. And in verse 14, it says, The Pharisees, who were lovers of heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. That's the issue. And what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. What, what Jesus is saying is that we have the light. We have the light. And, and we should consider and look to the future. We should arrange for our future. We should be aware of what we've been given and what's ahead. Instead of just kind of stumbling through life unaware, potentially unaware, potentially ungrateful, potentially unfaithful, he's saying, listen, I'm calling you to be faithful and I'm calling you to be wise. And yet he's using this comparison and he's basically telling them all too often, you aren't being either. 
See, Jesus cuts right to the matter and he says, whom are you, you serving? Now, this, this translation is using the word money. You cannot serve God in money. But the actual kind of Bible word there is mammon. Has anybody ever heard that word before, mammon? It's kind of a strange word. Um, it's, it speaks to more than just money. It is actually, it's almost like money being personified. It's the God of materialism. It's the God of stuff. It's, it's living my life to figure out what I can arrange and get and receive instead of living my life as a steward, recognizing what I have has been given. And now I, I steward it well, faithfully, with wisdom. That's the call. I, I think it's interesting that after Jesus gives the example of what was probably a wealthy master um, giving money to his manager to, to care for, Jesus makes it really clear that he's, he's not just speaking to the wealthy. You know, verse 10, he said, if you're faithful with little, you'll be faithful with much. If you're dishonest with little, you'll be dishonest with much. I, I've found it um, very discouraging in my life to pay attention to how my own heart processes things. And often, when I've been reflecting on stuff like this, I immediately think about other people. I hope I'm the only one that's done that, but I do. I, I think about other people instead of myself. And I, I, I'll even begin to start justifying myself in comparison to others instead of saying, God, with all humility, Lord, you're calling me to faithfulness. You're calling me to wisdom. You're calling me to consider the future. And so, God, how am I stewarding what you've given me? It's always about the heart. It's always about the heart. I love this Tim Keller quote on biblical generosity. He says, you can be technically generous with your money and still not radically generous in your heart, not pervasively generous in all parts of your life. Am I just checking off the box? I, I, I gave my tithe. I gave that little bit there. Or is my life, is my life, approached from a generous heart, a generous mindset? Is it pervasive in me to love, to give, to serve? That's what, that's what God's wanting to do in us and through us. Now, if you're like me up to this point, this just seems like pretty hard news, doesn't it? Does it sound a little discouraging? <laughs> There's good news. There's good news inherently even hidden in this story. Um, and so what I want to do is I want to compare something because I, I believe this is intentional. So Jesus talks in two places, I said, about stewardship. And so here in Luke 16, he's talking about a manager who is wise but unfaithful. But in Luke chapter 12, he's having a larger conversation. I want to give you a little context to this, and then we're going to look at it together. Um, Jesus tells a story about a man who spends his life laying up treasure on earth. And in fact, his barn gets full, and so what he does is he tears down the barn and builds an even bigger one to put more stuff in it. And then the parable ends with Jesus saying, basically, fool, your time has come. Today's the day you're going to heaven, and you've spent your life laying up treasures on earth, not in heaven. Then he invites all of us, and he says, be anxious for nothing, not food, not clothing, but God will provide. You know that whole passage about the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, they don't worry, they don't toil. Same context. So not being anxious. He says, instead of being anxious, let's give to the needy and lay up treasure where? 
in heaven. He calls us to look to heaven. And then a verse that we mentioned last week, where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. All right, so this is the context. And then from that point, Jesus begins to speak to them about the future and about the coming of the Son of Man, about his second coming. And he's, he's telling them, think about and be concerned with your eternal future, specifically my return. And in the midst of this warning about being prepared for his return, he says in Luke chapter 12, verse 42 and 43, notice the words here. And the Lord said to them, who then is the faithful and wise manager? The same two topics that he's talking about in Luke 16 as it relates to stewardship, he brings up here. Who is the faithful and wise manager? whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Jesus is calling us to be faithful and wise stewards in preparation for what? Eternity. Heaven. He's inviting us to get our eyes off of the present. He says, listen, I've, I've gifted you and given you this life and this present. It's my gift to you. I'm inviting you to steward that in a certain way. And the way I'm inviting you to steward that is with a view towards eternity. Even if all you can do is get some inspiration from the dishonest manager, arrange for your future. Think about what's ahead. And so he invites us and gives us this vision of what's ahead. And I love this. There's, there's this little hidden, really good news in the middle of Luke 16, in the middle of this hard story about this dishonest manager and Jesus kind of calling us out a little bit. In Luke 16, 9, Jesus says really simply, and I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. Use what you have on this earth to make friends. To care for people. So when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Do you hear what he's saying? He's giving us a vision for heaven. And he's not painting the, the picture we see in Revelation with the gold streets and, you know, the jewels everywhere. I don't know about you. That, does that inspire you when you think about heaven? Do you just think, I can't wait to walk on gold streets? That doesn't particularly inspire me. There's something else going on with that picture that maybe we'll talk about another time. But what Jesus is saying is it's about people. We are what's going to be in heaven. And so when we live a life of stewardship, it's about other people. It's about investing in that which is eternal. Shannon, you are an eternal precious being that God loves. And I get to have a friendship with you. And God calls me to steward that carefully and faithfully and love you well. He's, he, that's what he's calling us to. He's, he's getting us to get our eyes off of our present moment. Maybe our present discouragement because the finances aren't looking that great. Maybe our present moment because our health isn't all that well. And he's saying, think about the future that I've prepared for you. I've prepared a place. And what's going to last, what's going to be eternal is not the stuff you acquire, the life you arrange. It's going to be the people that you touch. And so he gives us a vision of heaven that is people-focused. I love Michael Wilcox's commentary on Luke 16. In fact, on this verse in particular, he writes and he says, 
Although these things, your property, your ability, your time, you know, we've used the terminology time, talent, treasure, same thing. They belong to this life only, says Jesus. And yet, what will happen to you then when you pass into that life will depend on what you are doing with them here and now. Make sure that your use of them brings you into a fellowship of friends which will survive beyond death. What a cool picture of the future. God's inviting us to invest in people, to think about people. Thankful for my, my pastor, Steve, back home. Um, he's taught series on this stuff for years. And this phrase um, of his, I want to quote this morning, he says, Have your heart in heaven and your hand in the harvest. Have your heart in heaven and your hand in the harvest. God's invited us to participate in what he's up to on this earth. He's gifted us our life. He's gifted us our, our friendships, our families. He has gifted us some finances. How do we steward those things? To love and serve and invest in what lasts. That's what God's calling us to. You guys know the name Jonathan Edwards, right? In fact, I bet if I asked, y'all could tell me the sermon he's really famous for. What's the first word of that sermon? Sinners. Sinners in the hands of an angry God, right? You know that, that message? It's well known. I feel like this, this, this guy doesn't get enough credit for some other things that he's preached, including a sermon titled, Heaven is the World of Love. Heaven is the World of Love. And he talks about how on this earth, on this planet, the time that we have here, when we invest in love, what we get in the temporary is usually pain. But that love in heaven produces joy. Here on this earth, we're longing for something we can't quite get our hands on. In fact, he identifies five things. And I'm just going to walk through these quickly. Um, we long to be loved for our own sake. That will be a reality in heaven. We will be loved for our own sake. Just taken as we are, who we are. I don't know that that is our typical experience on this earth. Often we love others or being loved for what we're getting out of it. What benefit am I receiving from this relationship? And when the benefits are not being are not outweighing the downsides, it's easy to walk away from those relationships. Investing in love can be painful because we long to be loved for our own sake and we don't find that happening. We long to express love without walls or obstacles. The problem is we've learned that we have to protect ourselves. And so pride gets in the way, defensiveness gets in the way, selfishness gets in the way. It hurts. We long to experience mutual love. There's nothing better than I give love and I receive it back. And yet, how rarely does that happen? How often we give love out towards relationships and we feel like it's not coming back in the same measure. How about this one? When you love somebody, have you experienced this? When you love somebody, you're not happy unless they're happy. Have you ever noticed that? Like when you really love somebody, if they're unhappy, it kind of gets on you. If, if you've been a parent, this may ring true. Um, you are only as happy as your unhappiest child, if you're a parent. 
right? We're, we're giggling because we've experienced that. If you ask me, you know, how did the weekend go with the kids? My mind doesn't leap to the kid that did great and had a wonderful weekend and we laughed a lot. I'm thinking of like the challenge that we had, right? But we love them. We care about them. And if one of them is not doing well, my heart goes to meet that. But see, in heaven, when the pains and sorrows of this world are removed, it's joy. Because the ones we love are happy, are satisfied. And finally, we want love without parting. Without parting. Whether it's the loss of a friendship, someone who goes on to heaven before us, we move away from someone near and dear that we love, we long for love without parting. Every longing that was just described is available through Jesus Christ in the eternal kingdom he's prepared us for. And when we choose on this earth to steward what we've been given and invest it, though painfully, invest it in love into people's lives, we're being faithful and wise stewards. And there will be a rich heavenly reward full of wonderful friendships and relationships to be enjoyed perfectly and eternally. Consider the future and steward well. That's Jesus' message. I want to close with this. I don't, I don't want to... This, this is so much a message about the heart. And I do think in a lot of ways how it practically plays out in our life is something we wrestle through with the Lord. I think we sit down with him and we look at our time, we look at our checkbook, right? We look at our abilities that we've been given and we go, okay, God, how am, I, how am I using these to love and invest in people? And I think the most practical thing we can do is have conversations regularly with him about that. It's like almost bring the ledger to him. Okay, Lord, here's my life. I want to steward this well. Thank you that you're with me. It's all from you. I'm grateful for it. How do I steward this with generosity, with gratitude? with an attitude of giving. But I want to give you a couple of practical things to consider. Number one, be relationally generous. Be relationally generous. That means be willing to forgive and be willing to risk vulnerability. Let somebody see the real you. Be willing to risk being vulnerable and be willing to forgive. If we separate those two, you can't have one without the other. If I don't practice forgiveness in my marriage with my wife, then she can't just fully be herself and I can't fully be myself. But let's be relationally generous, forgiving and risking to be vulnerable. Let's practice hospitality. Invite people into your home and into your life. Use what God's blessed you with to love on and bless others. Think about how you spend your time, talent, and treasure. I was just mentioning that. Some don'ts. <clears throat> Don't take advantage of people in order to arrange for your personal gain. You know, when you're thinking about what you're doing with your time or with your money, are, are we using people to gain something? Or am I doing the reverse of that? Is my money going towards blessing people, touching people's lives? Don't spend your life trying to get. Instead, be a giver. And finally, connect your money with the gospel. 
when, when we connect our finances, our time, our talent, our treasure with the hope and truth of Jesus, it makes an eternal impact in people's lives. Stewardship. We've been given a life. It belongs to him. So let's live as givers with generosity, stewarding faithfully and with wisdom what God has given us. I want to close with this. If you're like me, a message like this, I, I tend to he- just recognize the areas where I'm falling short. I think it's timely that the Lord even laid on y'all's heart what you were kind of sharing this morning and even what came out of that song. Um, there is a faithful and wise steward, and that's Jesus Christ. He stewarded his life fully, effectively. And you talk about someone who invested their life fully in eternity. When he went to the cross, he didn't have a dime to his name. He spent his life. He gave his life away for the future. That's our king. That's the one who's stewarding my life. I'm not trying to live up to that. And I'm not trying to earn that. This this message isn't about earning salvation in some way. It's secured because he's the faithful and good steward who has loved us well and paved the way for our eternity. Now I'm just learning more and more how to live like that, to live life as a giver. And it's a good, rich, full life. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your incredible love for us. God, I thank you that that you have worked, you've earned, you've stewarded your life well. You're the perfect steward. You're the only good, faithful, wise steward. God, thank you that you've secured our eternal future. And Lord, I thank you that now you invite us to join you in what you're up to on this earth. God, that you are inviting people into your kingdom. And God, we can participate in that. Lord, help us learn how to steward faithfully and wisely what you've given us, to invest in what really matters. God, would you show us in a personal way what this looks like in our life? God, where where we need just some encouragement, I pray we could hear your voice saying, well done, good and faithful servant. You've stewarded well. God, where we need some correction, I thank you that your gentle voice comes along and corrects us and you invite us to change and that we we can repent, we can confess. And you set our feet on a solid path. God, would you give us the grace to live as stewards of the life you've given us. We love you. We trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.